What up, everybody? Just a little reminder that the St. Infamous Playbook book is available wherever you get your books and ebooks. You can head on over to Ave Maria Press's website and use the code BEWELL, all one word, to get 20% off. Go get your copy now. St. Joan of Arc once said, Since God has commanded me to go, I must do it. Welcome to the 122nd episode of St. Dimpness Playbook, the SDP, if you want to be cool, a production of the Grexley Podcast Network. My name is Tommy. I'm a cradle Catholic, a marriage and family therapist, a husband and father of five boys, four on earth, and one in heaven. Love you, Luke. And I'm here to fill the void of Catholic conversations about mental health because I want us all to seriously understand and accept God's call for us to walk alongside those who are suffering. If we want to bring comfort to the afflicted, we have to start today. We like to kick it off around here with a quick refresh of our notifications. It's time for St. Dipna's Mentions. We're going to start by talking about a recent ad from the U.S. Bureau of Prisons that has gone viral, and we'll start with Gizmodo for context. The U.S. Bureau of Prisons purchased a number of Facebook ads recently in an attempt to hire people in a variety of roles throughout the country, but one ad in particular is catching attention on social media for how bleak it seems. The Bureau of Prisons seems to be using the number of mental illnesses in the U.S. prison system as a career opportunity for any psychologist who happens to be job hunting right now. Quote, flip to any DS page, whatever disorder you land on, you'll find it here, end quote. An image accompanying one of the new Facebook ads reads, referring to the Diagnostic and statistic man- Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. Roughly 37% of prisoners in the U.S. have mental health issues, according to the American Psychological Association and the U.S. Department of Justice. The U.S. has one of the largest prison populations in the world, with over 2.1 million Americans currently serving time. So back to me, I actually showed my wife this ad when it came across my my screen. I was so shocked that I had to have someone to discuss it with. To prop up the vast number of incarcerated people experiencing mental health symptoms as some sort of exclusive benefit of a job is beyond bleak. It's heartbreaking and disgusting. It's publicly pointing out a systematic injustice as a selling point for recruiting new hires. Those suffering from mental illness who find themselves involved with the legal system deserve compassion targeted care to help them, opportunities to get involved with programs offering treatment as a path toward removing offenses from their records. They deserve justice, treatment, and hope, not incarceration and isolation. In addition, the very prisons they are recruiting for are places that are causing or contributing to mental illness. The trauma faced by those who are incarcerated would shock most of us, and the impact those day-in and day-out traumas have on the brain lead to more suffering, more difficulties, and without treatment, more intensity entanglement with the legal system. So the whole thing perpetuates itself on and on. We have to be the voice of the voiceless and cry out for an end to all of this and instead work for funding to go to diversion programs that can offer true hope, true healing, and true freedom. And all those psychologists the prisons are trying to bring aboard as new hires can walk into those programs to work, leading individuals to a better life and working toward true justice. So each episode, I'm going to introduce you to a saint who can help us along our journey with mental health and wellness as Catholics. It's called Friend Request, and today I'm going to introduce you to Blessed Peter Gonzalez. 
Born in 1190 in the kingdom of Castile and Leon, Peter was educated by his uncle who also happened to be a bishop and was given over to a monastery when he was still quite young. One day, as he was proudly riding his horse into the city to take an important position at the local cathedral secured by his bishop uncle, his horse tumbled and threw Peter down into the mud. Onlookers laughed at his expense, and oddly enough, God worked his way into Peter's life through this embarrassing situation. According to Wikipedia, humbled, the canon revealed reevaluated his vocation and later resigned his position to enter the Dominican order. Gonzalez became a renowned preacher. Crowds gathered to hear him and numberless conversions were the result of his efforts. Gonzalez devoted the remainder of his life to preaching in the northwest of Spain and developed a special mission to Spanish and Portuguese seamen. Back to me. What a great reminder that God can find a way into our lives and change everything even by way of an embarrassing situation. He's always there, even when we least expect it. We like to close out this part of the podcast with a prayer. Almighty God, you bestowed the singular help of blessed Peter on those in peril from the sea. By your help and by the help of his prayers, may the light of your grace shine forth in all the storms of this life and enable us to find the harbor of everlasting salvation. We ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your son, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. And now you can't do therapy over Twitter, but I'm happy to take your tweets and help you explore a bit in the hopes of finding a light in the darkness. It's time for Twitter therapy. Anonymous gets us started. Can you talk about how to mourn a loss in the family while helping other family members mourn? Well, let's start by joining in prayer for Anonymous and for everyone experiencing grief and bereavement, for a compassionate community of support, and for the easing of pain. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Thank you so much for this question. It can be such a difficult experience to grieve while others in our family are also going through their own process. Personally, when our son died, it was really hard for me to experience other people grieving the situation because it felt like I had to support them when I felt like I was the one who needed support, if that makes sense. Let's get some thoughts here from the University of Rochester. After a loss, family members often deal with their grief in different ways. Grief can draw families together. Sometimes it can pull them apart. No one can adequately prepare you to handle your grief, let alone a spouse's or a child's grief. Learning about grief and how it affects your family can help you get through the difficult times together. It may even help your family grow stronger. When you're grieving, you tend to be in a state of chaos. Grief may challenge your beliefs, disrupt your routines, throw your life into turmoil. You can't predict how you will respond when someone you love dies. Reaction to loss depends on many factors, such as how the person died, if you had other losses and how you dealt with them, and the kind of relationship you had with that person. People will express their grief in their own way. There are as many ways to grieve as there are people. Here's an example of the differences in the ways that men and women grieve. 
Men tend to take action, uh, take an active approach to handling their grief. They may, for example, plant a tree or organize an event in honor of the person who died. Women tend to feel more comfortable talking openly about their emotions. Often women cry more easily than men do. Children's responses vary depending on their age, developmental level, and their parents' reaction to loss. But these are only tendencies. Most people draw from both types of behavior. It's important to remember that there is no right way or timetable to grieve, knowing that your parents child or spouse deals with grief differently than you can help you understand and support each other during this difficult time. So back to me. I think that that last part is one of the most important keys here. We all grieve differently. We all feel different ways at different times. And one way we can get tripped up is when we feel frustrated when our family members uh, don't grieve in the same way that we do at the same time. We can feel alone on the days when we're struggling and they're doing okay. But we really have to take a step back and accept that everyone grieves in their their own way, and that however someone is grieving, it's okay. Which brings up the last important point, the importance of communication within a grieving family. It's vital to communicate how we're feeling each day to the people we're living with and grieving with. This helps because if if you're feeling angry today and I'm feeling sad, it can help us to understand why you're yelling and I get upset and start crying when someone spills the milk. So that you know I'm not crying (laughs) because of the milk and you're not yelling because of the milk, right? It gives us Uh, some help to be able to understand each other and give each other space on those days when we're grieving, the days that we're feeling good, the days that we're not feeling good. And know that we'll be praying for you and your family. Sarah is up next. My husband and I both take SSRIs and they're giving us our lives back for different reasons. Me from severe PMDD and him from anxiety and depression. We're extremely disillusioned with how the clergy and the church see mental health. Three different priests have either said to us or in homilies how antidepressants are, quote, numbing the pain instead of dealing with the issues, quote, the easy way out, the exact words of a priest in confession, and today heard, quote, the rise in suicides and antidepressant use is a symptom of spiritual sloth, end quote. We are deeply hurt. I've emailed one of the priests explaining how harmful this is, but it seems like it keeps happening. My husband is quite literally on the verge of leaving the church. He's so hurt. We don't know what to do or where to turn, and it's scary. Let's start by joining together in prayer for Sarah, her husband, and everyone else facing this kind of destructive stigma from the church, from their families, or from their communities. And let's also ask God to root out this stigma moving forward in our own hearts, in our church, and in our world. Hail Mary full of grace. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. The first thing I have to say is that I'm sorry. I'm so deeply sorry to hear that you and your husband have had this experience in our church. There's no excuse for it. It's a disgusting example of the stigma that still exists in our church, and it's something that I promise to continue to fight against. It has to end. When we experience people who say these kinds of things, especially those who are in positions that are meant to support us and show compassion to us, it leads to unnecessary suffering. It leads to people leaving the church, like you mentioned, and it leads to people having damaged relationships with God. It's absolutely unacceptable. I don't blame your husband for his feelings, but I can only say that I hope you both know that these priests do not speak for the church. They aren't representing church teaching. They aren't sharing the love of Christ. 
I'm proud of you for reaching out. I know we talked about how you also reached out to the bishop, and I think that's a great idea too. But really, those of us who are living with mental health symptoms and trying to find health and wellness shouldn't have to be responsible to correct these kinds of problems, right? Let me just say this 100% as clearly as possible. Jesus Christ came to free us from sin and from suffering. He comes to us through the people that we meet in our lives. He wants us to experience joy and happiness and comfort and the ability to live our lives fully. And when he walked the earth, he healed individuals who were suffering from mental health symptoms. He didn't cast them aside or blame them for their pain or tell them that they should just suck it up and cope with it. He met with them, he spoke to them, and he healed them. And today, his help comes to us in the form of helping professionals, medication when we need it, kind family and friends who will walk alongside us. And it should come in the form of priests who understand our pain and suffering and lead us to healing and wellness. The priests that you have encountered are not following in the footsteps of Jesus. And that breaks my heart. But I want to be sure that you know that you are both doing the right things to find wellness and that God is with you. Victoria wraps us up. What's the best way to talk about mental health in confession? For instance, I know my anxiety itself isn't sinful, but when it causes me to stop praying altogether, I want to confess that. But I've had very unhelpful things said about mental health and confession. How can we confess honestly but protect ourselves from harmful advice? Well, let's pray together for Victoria and everyone finding themselves in a similar situation, for peace in their hearts, and for God to provide a clear path forward with helpful and compassionate priests in the confessional. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy, hear and answer me. Amen. I'm really grateful that you brought up this question, Victoria. I think a lot of us spend time thinking about this very situation, and it's nice for us to be able to remember that we aren't alone. I always like to start these conversations by first pointing out that I'm not a theologian, so my answer comes from being a therapist and a cradle Catholic who strives to learn and understand everything I can about the faith, but not as one who speaks for the church in any kind of official or authoritative capacity. So that being said, here are my thoughts. First, we are required to confess all grave and mortal sins in confession. Let's start with what that means from the Archdiocese of Indianapolis using some notes from the catechism. There are sins totally incompatible with love for God and others, mortal sins, and ones in which love is less grievously wounded, venial sins. The church says that all grave or mortal sins must be confessed as soon as possible. A mortal sin involves an action whose object is grave matter that is committed with full knowledge and deliberate consent. Grave matter is generally understood to be something that violates the Ten Commandments. Full knowledge means that one is aware that God or the church he founded considers the act sinful. And deliberate consent means a consent sufficiently intentional to be a personal choice. So back to me. I think the last part of that excerpt from the Archdiocese is very important when it comes to our mental health and sin. In order for a sin to be mortal, we must be committing it with the full consent of our will. As it said, deliberate consent means 
consent sufficiently intentional to be a personal choice. And in the situation you brought up, one where our anxiety leads us to being unable to pray, we certainly are not avoiding prayer with the full consent of our will. It isn't a personal choice because if it was simply up to choice, we would pray. That's what we want. But our mental health, our anxiety, and our depression, and our trauma history can all impact the choices we make, especially in a religious context. And it's important to recognize that while we're working on these symptoms um, and, and how they impact our spiritual life. We have to go easy on ourselves because it's a long process to get where we want to be. So last, I have to say, in terms of bringing up our mental health in the confessional, I feel like we really need to know the priest in a sense and feel some safety around being able to be vulnerable in this way. I wish I could say that bringing up our anxiety or our depression in the confessional will always be met with a kind and compassionate response, but we can't be sure of that. And while I'm a huge advocate of talking about our journey with mental health in order to help decrease stigma and build community, I'm also very clear that we can only do that when we feel safe comfortable and are with people who we know will walk alongside us in a positive and helpful way. I hope that helps. And please, please know that we're praying for you. All right, everyone, that's it for today's episode. Remember, you can email, DM, or tweet your questions and situations if you'd like me to address them in a future episode. I'd be happy to keep you anonymous or not, whatever you want. Be sure to check out patreon.com slash grexley to see all the great things they've got going on over there and support the cause. And until next time, Go easy on yourselves. Take care of yourselves. And if you feel like you're in a place where you can't even bring yourself to pray, don't worry. I'll be praying for you. And so will St. Dymphna.